you've tuned into Bombproof Recovery Radio, your access to today's best addiction recovery ideas, tools, and experts. Listen in and you will learn what is and what isn't working today. Now, let's get Bombproof with your host, James Healy. Hey, this is James. Welcome to the show. My goal is to provide you, your loved ones, and anyone you know who needs one, a helping hand to find success in recovery so they can live the life they desire, the life they deserve. But before we get started, I wanted to let you know about my free sobriety course, which will help anyone seeking a sober lifestyle find a successful path. Check it out at bombproofrecovery.com. And hey, if if you're new to recovery and trying to detox on your own, please seek professional help and supervision if you're coming off of alcohol or benzos, because that can kill you. Hey, I want to give a big shout out to one of our supporters, The Addictions Coach. Now, The Addictions Coach is the nation's foremost network of sober coaches, recovery coaching, and sober companion specialists. If you are looking to get unstuck from your addiction and recovery challenges, get in touch with The Addictions Coach. They have been featured on all the major networks and shows like Dr. Phil, Oprah, Good Morning America, and more. The Addictions Coach is completely discreet and their programs are customized to your individual needs. Check them out at theaddictionscoach.com. So there are a few American families that have not seen their lives touched in some form by drug addiction or substance abuse. The general statistics now are showing that over 23 million people in the United States uh, need some sort of professional treatment for an addiction to drugs or alcohol but only approximately 10% of those people will ever enter into treatment or some sort of program. Now, drug and alcohol abuse is scary, and asking for help and entering into treatment can be scary for a lot of people, too. Once someone decides they want to leave their life of addiction because it has become kind of a hell of sorts, the next question they ask is, now what do I do? So if you are someone who struggles with navigating your successful path to recovery, listen in now as I chat with Matthew Rupert from Adams Recovery Center. Adams provides intensive outpatient with day treatment options, including residential, outpatient, and drug screening. Additionally, they provide group, family, and individual counseling. And they have recently published a book called Addiction Recovery Change, a how-to manual for successfully navigating sobriety. Welcome to the show, Matthew. Thank you for having me. Yeah, you bet. So we hear almost daily now that the number of prescription-based addictions is on the rise and all kinds of other troubles with adolescents using drugs and alcohol. And are you also seeing an increase in the number of people seeking treatment? We are seeing an increase in the number of people seeking treatment. We're seeing an increase in the number of people overdosing. We're seeing an increase in the number of people fatally overdosing. We are seeing an increase across the board in everything related to substance abuse, to addiction, and the really 
macabre joke that goes on. It's not even a joke in our right. in our profession is that we tell people, yeah, we work in addictions and our jobs are secure. And that is something that we would like to be able to honestly look at people and say addictions experts are no longer needed. Right. But unfortunately, at the rate things are going, we need more, not fewer addiction professionals. So yes, we are seeing a massive increase and it has spiked precipitously in the past 10 years. Yeah. So the word epidemic, which is thrown around is probably fairly accurate, huh? It definitely is a word that gets people's attention and helps them understand it. It's mm-hmm. an epidemic that uh, that affects all aspects of the personality and, of course, of society. When people tell me that drug use doesn't affect them, I launch into my speech explaining how it absolutely affects all of us, even if you don't do drugs or you don't necessarily directly know someone who does drugs. Right. And therefore, this is a problem more so than you can imagine. Right. Now, uh, Let's talk a little bit about you and your history. How did you get into helping people in addictions recovery? I was actually told by a former supervisor to get my license in chemical dependency, and this was a long time ago, and I looked at her and I go, I will, and my exact words to her back then were, (laughs) I will never work with a bunch of addicts. That is the last population you ever will get me to work with. I have no interest. This is a waste of time. (laughs) <laughs> but I got the license anyway, just because I thought, sure, it'll look good on my resume. And well, interestingly <laughs> enough, over a decade later, I'm sitting here as a director of a successful drug and alcohol treatment program. And uh, my only response is, yeah, funny that <laughs> it was not something I set out to do because a lot of people in our field, they often talk about, oh, well, I've got a former addiction or I'm a recovering addict right. and that's why I want to help people. And then I, don't have a problem with that necessarily, but there's a growing number of us now who don't come from a background of of actually having an addiction. I've never been addicted to any illicit substances. I've never been one. And that's looked down upon by some individuals. So I got into it as a counselor. I'm also a licensed mental health counselor and a licensed chemical dependency counselor. Mm -hmm. I got into it, again, by pretty much accident and just more or less being told by a supervisor, yeah, go do this. You'll love it. (laughs) And not coming from a background in addictions, I used to be one of those people who believed, well, why would I want to do this since I don't have a former addiction. I learned that way of thinking is not necessarily the best way of thinking. And no, as as the story goes, here I am. You are. Now, Adams has been around for a while helping people in recovery, correct? Correct. We've been around for just about five years now. Okay. And then what led you to write this how-to guide to sobriety? And what do you want the readers to come away from with this book? The the idea behind the book was to make sure that people who are coming out of either a rehab program or they've just found themselves not using drugs for a while and they want to stay sober and they're standing there with the with their shoulders hunched up going, well, now what? We wanted to give them something they could use in order to say, okay, I have the ability to do this. I have the desire to do this. What can I do? We wanted to give them, again, as a Uh how-to manual, 
but we wanted to let people know that regardless of what you may personally believe might be the issue, like do you believe it's a disease, do you believe it's spiritual, do you believe it's behavioral, do you believe that it's learned, do you believe it's inborn, those are irrelevant as much as your desire to want to make and sustain the changes. That's what drove us to write the book is for the individuals who get the treatment but then mm-hmm. either don't remember the tools they learned, which is very common. You go into a program and now you're like, well, gee, what did they tell us? Well, here's what we told you. And if it's not us, well, here's what we're mm-hmm. telling you. That's going to help you stay on the path of sustained sobriety. And so this book is kind of a how-to manual and a guide to help people in your aftercare program or... We do. We have an intensive outpatient program we offer. It's three days a week for three hours a night. And there are those who choose to come to this one or we link them with other aftercare programs. And we hope they'll go because we can't force someone to go to aftercare. We really want them to. As we explain to them, I I tell a lot of people, you can't just tell me that you're done because you went to rehab for three months or four months or six months. Ask yourself how long it took you to become addicted. Did you get addicted in a day? Was it a week? Was it a month? Was it a process? And ask yourself how you, 30 years, and we've had people, (laughs) we had a lady in here who said she'd been drinking for 52 years and she was in her early 60s. And if you do the math, it's, it becomes distressing. So I I tell them, I go, I'm, I'm 47 years old and I'm 47 years sober. You can look at me and I, and you can say, well, there is someone who's a role model for being sober. And I'll say, sure I am because I've never been addicted, but you're experts in what it takes to, to become addicted to something. So now you've already demonstrated, you have the knowledge for how to get addicted. I'm going to show you what you can use to stop being addicted. Therefore we use each other's expertise. And the book was written off of that as well, such as, okay, you're an expert at, at not maintaining your sobriety. You already know how to do that. Let me show you what to do so you can stop being an expert in the field. That's not helping you. Right. Right. And I like the book at the end of each chapter too, you have uh, some very thoughtful uh, questions and, and it's kind of a workbook style thing that really provokes contemplation and some action that so people can really learn from that chapter. Right. When people actively have to think about the information they're being presented and they actually have to put work into it, that's when you see mm-hmm. something come to fruition. I I don't know about you, but I couldn't stand being in school when you're learning some information and then the instructor goes, now I want everyone to pull out their pens and write down what they learned. I'm like, oh, geez, <laughs> and you roll your eyes. But the reality is when you have to put your thoughts to paper, and this works for not everybody, but the majority of people, you actually have the opportunity to look at what you're thinking and see how it actually sounds to someone else. Or you can look at it maybe a day from now, an hour from now, or a week or a month or a year or a decade and see if your thinking has changed. The idea is we believe that the way we think is the way we act. If you change the way you think, you're going to change the way you act. So what you wrote down today may not be what you're going to write down tomorrow. Thus, we want to provoke you or provoke your thoughts, I should say, not provoke you, provoke your thoughts (laughs) and get them on paper so that you can actually have something tangible to look at and say, is this something I need to change? Is this helping me? Is this hindering me? Can I get feedback on this from other people? Therefore, for once you read a chapter, now you can give us your feedback and tell us where you really are in your sustained sobriety. Yeah, that's awesome. I like that kind of the action oriented part of that book. It definitely 
always helps me learn and and stay somewhat accountable. If I write something down, I kind of got to live by it. So sobriety is not something you can just once once you are actively in in sobriety, you can't be passive in your sobriety. We tell people right. you're going to meet challenges every day. I'm not a big fan of the word trigger. I think the word trigger is another word for excuse because people say, oh, my God, I can't go there. I'm going to be triggered. I'm like, you're not going to be triggered. You're looking for a reason to use. And so I'm, I'm very adamant about that. And I tell it to people, I go, don't use the T word because the T word is one of those trained words which tells you, oh, my gosh, we do groups about triggers here at Adams Recovery Center. And we mm-hmm. often have people list their so-called triggers on the whiteboard. And I'm not joking when I tell you that we get literally hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of so-called triggers. We call them excuses. We say, no, no, because everything on here is a trigger. I mean, you couldn't go anywhere because everything that you've just listed, I mean, you've got the outdoors, you've got trees, you've got grass, you've got cars, you've got the roads. I mean, everything's a trigger. So instead of creating triggers, create things that induce your sustained sobriety, which is everything. I mean, if you're going to play a video game and tells me, or it tells you or reminds you of the days when you used to use, you're really creating things that aren't triggers as much as you're creating an excuse for you to use because then you'll say, oh, I couldn't help it. I had to use because I played a video game that I used to play when I used back in the day. We tell people your sobriety is going to be an active, involved effort, just as much as your insobriety was an active, involved effort. Because if you ask someone who was using, how far would you drive? Because we were in Cincinnati, Ohio. Mm -hmm. If Cincinnati, Ohio, within a 100-mile radius, you couldn't get heroin or coke or meth or weed or whatever, how far would you drive? And everybody says, I would go 101 miles. And I go, okay, now you can't get it <laughs> far enough. <laughs> I would go, and they, they, they consistently tell us. And the efforts and lengths people go to to get their drug of choice would blow most people's minds who aren't involved in addictions. Therefore, I tell them, think about how much effort you put into getting high and getting wasted. That's how much effort you're going to have to put into getting sober. It's not just going to be you. There's an old adage which says going to rehab doesn't make you sober any more than going to a garage makes you a car. Yeah, it's amazing. It's the, the focused desire for something is so true. And whether you're addicted or not, if you want a certain car, you know, you're going to find a way to save money or finance it or whatever it is to get that one car because you're obsessed with it. And that's what happens with addiction, too. It's like, I know I need this drug or alcohol and your mind just finds a way to make it happen. We call it cognitive bias. You can call it shopper's bias. You can call it a self-fulfilling prophecy, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. You're exactly right. If you want it, you're going to go get it. And you're going to justify, rationalize, minimize, blame shift, take a victim stance, whatever it is you got to do in order to get your drug of choice or your car of choice or your or right. your, or your fast food of choice. You're, yeah, if you want it, it is, that, yeah. you're going to do it. Yeah, it's amazing. Now, in your book, you you break it down into, I mean, you start with setting expectations for after treatment because this is kind of, like you say, uh, a guidebook for aftercare because when they're in treatment, they have a lot of guide, guidance there. And then some of the more important areas, let's talk about some of those, like finding a, a sober support system because this is an ongoing thing that needs to be addressed, this treatment of my addiction. It's going to follow me along my path the rest of my life, really. 
Absolutely. It's, it's the same. I, I, there, I'm not a big fan of the disease model of addiction. I, I, I don't necessarily embrace that because a lot of people I find when you tell them they have when you say to someone, well, you've got the disease of addiction, in their mind, they're like, oh, that explains <laughs> everything. And they're looking for a medical cure. Looking for a, a pill, yeah. <laughs> yes, they want a pill or, or I'm on Vivitrol, I'm cured. I'm like, no, 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 no. There's a medical component to addiction. I will not disagree with that. Medication-assisted therapy is very useful to people. But as I explained to them, it's like a diabetic. If you give a diabetic a shot of insulin, they're not cured. That's going to help them reduce their blood sugar sugar, but they still have to actively be involved in their diet, their mm -hmm. exercise. They have to monitor their blood sugar. It's not as simple as getting a shot or a pill or going to your doctor once a month. Therefore, a lot of people, when they say, well, it's a disease, I'm like, you know what? If that's what you want to believe, that's okay, but you've got to take care of this from multiple perspectives, mm -hmm. not just believe that medically somehow you're going to be cured because even if we can medically prove 100% that yes, it's a disease, my question to you is, so what? How does that help you become sober? It doesn't. Just like telling the diabetic or the cancer patient, you have a disease. Okay, <laughs> what are they going to do to help prolong their life and make their lives manageable? Therefore, we want people to understand that it doesn't really help if you put all your eggs in one basket as far as the origins of why you have a, a substance use disorder. We don't know necessarily. We don't know why Billy decided to start doing heroin, but his brother Bobby said, I'm not going to touch that crap. And they both have an identical background, right. near identical genetics. We don't know. But what are you going to do? If you go to rehab, and it doesn't matter whether or not you believe it's a disease or it's biological or behavioral, whatever you choose to believe, what's going to happen if you go to rehab, graduate rehab, and now you have no sober supports in your system? You need to have a sober support network out there so when you leave rehab, you don't go back to old people, places, and things, but instead you're learning there are different ways to have fun. Go back to the video game example I used. Yeah. So you used to play Halo, and you used to get really high when you play Halo. Well, can you play Halo and be sober? Sure you can. <laughs> can, you, can you play any other video game or go to a movie or go to a ball game and not drink? Sure you can. With sober supports, you can do that. So we encourage people, be it AA, NA, Smart Recovery, Rational Recovery, Celebrate Recovery, or any of the other dozens, if not hundreds, of sober support programs mm -hmm. that are out there, we want them to build that network because that's going to be the most crucial aspect to people in sustained sobriety is the type of people and environments you associate with are going to determine. Uh, a brief story I'll give you on this one is I had someone in our program a couple years ago, and she said she lived in a city north of here, and she said to me, Mr. Rupert, I just can't help it. When I drive down Main Street in my city, people come up to the window in my car and they throw drugs through the front window. And we all just slowly turned our heads and looked at her. <laughs> and I said, you know, I used to work in that city for five years and I drove down that street hundreds of times and not a single person ever walked up to my car and threw drugs in there. And she looked at me, she goes, well, that's because you weren't looking for them. And I go, now you're starting to get it. Yeah, exactly. If, if, you're, if, you, if you don't surround yourself with people who want to see your sustained, sustained sobriety and your successful sobriety, then you're going to set yourself up for failure. Therefore, that chapter alone is it should be enough to get people going, ooh, I really need to do that. If I haven't done anything else, 
that's the first thing you need to do. Get the to sustain sober support. Yeah, because I, I imagine that's one of the most difficult things coming from treatment back home and all of a sudden you're thrown right back into a, your same environment, same people. If you're in high school, same you know, group of kids, oh, so whatever it is. And that's going to be a huge challenge. And there's a lot of uh, online support too. The In the rooms, uh, you can attend meetings, uh, a lot of Facebook groups you can join. And there's, there's ways to connect with people for sure that would support you in your sobriety. We have a, a massive advantage coming into this while we're already in the technological age now. And you just nailed the, you just nailed it. That, if you can't, for some reason, go physically to some sort of sober support group or sober support meeting, you can you can go online. You can make it very difficult. And I often do a very sarcastic presentation. I pull my <laughs> cell phone out of pocket. I go, this is called a cell phone. And you can call people on it. And you can do this thing called texting. And I'll press a button on my phone. I go, oh, look at that. I sent a message to someone across the planet. I go, the point is, you're never away from some sort of support system, be it an online forum, be it a text message, be it a phone call, which may, may seem archaic right. by some people's <laughs> standards, like we're doing right now, right. but it's still a valid means of communication. People, unless you literally are in a communications blackout zone, there's no excuse for never being able to at least find some sort of sober support. I often tell people the reason you can't find sober support is because you're actively not looking for it. And that goes back to that. You've got to be proactive in your sobriety. That's where I see a lot of people create the excuses. Well, I just couldn't get to a meeting or I couldn't get a hold of them. It's like, no, no, you're not going to get that. There are so many ways you can get a hold of people nowadays. And heck, even if that doesn't work, we'll just you know send up a smoke signal. Use a carrier pigeon. Whatever you got to do to stay sober. That's right. And then uh, I think part of this uh, ties in with the, the next chapter in your book was just talking about relationships. Like, it's so hard uh, when someone gets sober, a lot of the relationships are completely changed, you know, even if it's with your family. Well, let's take a quick break here. I wanted to let you know about a really cool event I am part of this next summer. It's called Camp Recovery Elevator, and over the course of four days, we will share and intimately explore the tools, insights, and inner work required to be successful in a life of long-term sobriety. Guests will be encouraged to share personal experiences, explore different recovery approaches, and get outside of their comfort zones. I am helping to host this life-changing retreat with Paul from the Recovery Elevator podcast, right here in beautiful Bozeman, Montana, August 24th to the 27th. But don't worry, there'll also be plenty of time during your visit to enjoy the great stuff we have here in Montana, like hiking in star-filled skies, along with the powerful workshops filled with fun, learning, laughter, and quite possibly tears. Now head on over to my site, bombproofrecovery.com, for more info and a link to register. There's also a coupon code there for a sweet discount and all of the details. If you have any questions, shoot me an email at james at bombproofrecovery.com and I really hope to see you there. It's going to be awesome. You tell 
people a lot that if you've ever had the privilege of going away to college, even for a semester, when you come back, you're telling everyone, I haven't changed, but no, I, I, I've changed, but you're all the same, or everything seems different. They're going to seem different at first until you have time to reacclimate, and I, and I often let people know that when you go away to college, you come back, you're learning things. And if the people that are still there haven't done anything to change the way they think or the way they act or the way they behave, they're going to be just like they were when you left. And you're going to look at them and go, hmm, I see them differently now. If you left people who are, even if they're your loved ones, and that's the really scary part, mm-hmm. they're your loved ones, but they were encouraging you to do drugs, you get out of rehab. Quite often, they're waiting with open arms going, yeah, come home, come <laughs> use with us, come get, come get messed up with us. Right. If you don't change those relationships, you're going to be in trouble. And a lot of people tell me, Mr. Rupert, I can't, I can't go to a homeless shelter. I have nowhere to, or, I, or I have nowhere to go. And I go, well, there's a homeless shelter. Oh, I can't do that. Right. Can't or won't. And it's always a won't. I don't want to do something that's uncomfortable. So I'm just going to go right back into the lion's den. Therefore, an honest evaluation of the relationships and whether or not they're poisonous or they're detrimental or they're fatal. Mm-hmm. That inventory needs to be taken. And it's really sad to see how many people refuse to acknowledge that their so-called loved ones really are part of the problem versus being the the support that they think they're going to be. Those people, if they're using while you're in rehab, they're not going to stop just because you got out of rehab. Right. It doesn't work no. that way. No. Just like if you go up to your dealer and say, you know what? I think you should stop dealing drugs. Your dealer's not going to look at you and say, you're right. You just went to rehab. I should listen to you. You're not an expert. Your dealer's going to go find another customer. And unfortunately, your loved ones They'll turn their back on you because you're not part of their using circle anymore. So an honest emotional and intellectual inventory of your relationships is crucial. Yeah, and that's hard. I mean, sometimes those relationships go back a long ways. And it's hard to to break some of those or break away from those and create new ones with the... Absolutely. Familiarity is a wonderful thing. And it's very difficult to say, you know, I've known this person my whole life, but you have to ask yourself the question, is this person helping you or are they hindering you? And we know it's a tough thing. We get that, which is why we say a sober support network is going to help you and getting into some sort of aftercare program where they may be able to link you with family counseling or individual counseling or group counseling to help you get through Mm -hmm. what it's going to be a very huge series of tough decisions. Mm-hmm. No one said sobriety is going to be easy, mm-hmm. but it's well worth it. Yeah, definitely. This also, now this ties right into the next chapter too, this topic of codependence. This is a big one with almost everyone uh, oh, <laughs> that comes along the addiction recovery pipeline. It's I, I see it in all kinds of other areas of life too, not just addiction, but it's just some, it's something that's ingrained in us from a very early age. We see it. I, 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 as I said, I work in both mental health and chemical dependency, and I see codependency occur not just in substance abuse, but there's a tremendous, tremendous, tremendous influx of people who are codependent or dependent because the other partner couldn't care less whether the person lives or dies. But one person will tell us, oh my gosh, you know, I just can't live without him or I can't live without her. I'm like, "Eh, well, they're probably not as kosher. I'm thinking in my mind as as you are on this one. But we see the codependence issue rear its head because there's the there's a it's a semi humorous saying the family that uses together stays together well mm-hmm. if you're both enabling there's a difference between empowerment and enabling and if 
if you see this unhealthy pattern, and we do many, many, many groups on codependency here at ARC, if you see this, you want to take an honest inventory of it. You want to take an honest look at it and ask yourself, is this person an enabler? Are they someone who empowers me? And the, the, the signs and symptoms of the relationship that is codependent are not difficult to see, mm-hmm. but they're difficult to break free from because that codependence, literally, if you, if you look at the name, it's one person requires the existence and the approval of another person. Otherwise, that person falls to pieces. And it, and it, can, it can go from mild codependence, and I know that sounds like a, a contradiction, mm-hmm. all the way to severely entrenched codependence, and of course, a giant uh, uh, continuum in between those two. We work with our clients on codependence because that has usually, not not always, but I would say in the super duper majority of cases, some form of codependence, be it with family, friends, or just whomever, has been in part responsible for the sustained drug use. Therefore, we wanted to put a chapter in the book saying, yeah, you may want to take a look at this too if this is still going on because that's not going to help you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, not at all. Now, we're talking about um, temptations and uh, battling boredom. I, I was recently talking with someone who who had this uh, description. They said that when they quit using, and they had been addicted to all kinds of things, cigarettes, alcohol, gambling, uh, sex, <laughs> like they had a big long list and they quit everything. And someone actually asked them, they said, well, what are you doing now? There's nothing left in life, right? And they said that they had this huge white space now mm-hmm. that they had to fill somehow. And that can definitely lead to relapse, right? If someone just is not able to fill this white space with something that they really enjoy and, and brings them happiness. We let, we would go back to that trigger activity I talked about where we fill up the whiteboard where we come yeah. up with hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of triggers. I mean, there are things that people list as triggers in there where you'd probably look at me and you'd raise your eyebrow and I'd raise mine back at you going, really? Thumbtacks or a trigger? Are, are you scared? And we actually had someone list thumbtacks once and they explained it to me and it's been so long. I don't remember how they looked as a trigger. But I was like, but okay, was, yeah. now, we're, now we're stretching things to the point of you can't go into an office depot now because you might be, quote, triggered. Boredom is a huge factor in people's sustained sobriety. Like, I'm bored, what do I do? This is where we help, we want them to understand that there's more to life than what's at your fingertips, is that there's a giant big blue marble we live on, mm-hmm. and there's so much out there that can be done. When you intentionally, and in a lot of cases, artificially restrain yourself, and say, oh, no, 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 I possibly couldn't do that. Well, unless there's an actual real valid reason why you couldn't do something, there's always a reason. Like, I, I uh, for example, I play video games, shock and surprise. I've mentioned them a couple of times already. <laughs> yeah. I play video games on my computer. I'm a bass player. I also referee high school and college football. I also umpire high school and college softball. I find things 
that I enjoy, but I couldn't have told you 30 years ago that I enjoyed officiating or that I would have enjoyed video games, that I would have enjoyed being a bass player, or I would enjoy reading or driving or whatever. I can't tell you these things because tomorrow's not here, yesterday's gone, I'm in the moment. Mm -hmm. Therefore, it's up to me to explore all of the literally billions and billions of things you can do out there. It's amazing. Yeah, it's overwhelming. Yeah, my options are drugs or nothing. That's a false dichotomy. That's black or white thinking. Either I'm doing drugs and getting high to occupy my time, or I'm sitting here doing nothing, which then creates the vicious circle argument. Now I have to go get high because I'm doing nothing. That's a false dichotomy. That's a thinking error. We point that out to people when they're in treatment that the black or white thinking is going to kill you, especially when you say either I'm getting high or I'm doing absolutely nothing. Because that's funny. I'm Matt Rupert. I'm 47 years old, 47 years sober. I've never filled my time with drinking or anything in order to find things to do. And even I get bored sometimes, but you know what? If you get bored, that's also shock and surprise, drum roll, part of life. <laughs> right. And that's okay to be bored sometimes. It's okay to say, you know what, I'm bored. Eh, that means I've got nothing I need to do or know where I need to be. I think I'll just sit back and enjoy the fact that the universe is still rolling on. <laughs> I wish I was bored sometimes. Now, I'm so busy. I'm like, I don't know how people get bored. There's so much to do. There's always something I want to be doing with my time. And even just reading a book is like... Great. If I have that time to spend half an hour or an hour just sitting down and and reading something. Absolutely. All right. Before we start wrapping up, how do we tie all of this together? Do you have any thoughts on that? It's a a big um, challenge to to keep this sobriety going and live happily ever after once you leave treatment, isn't it? There's the, if you've ever seen the movie A League of Their Own, I I really enjoy a line that Tom Hanks gives um, Oh my gosh, the lead female, um, whose name I'm spacing on right now, but in the movie, she quits being the catcher for the team, and she says, it got too hard, and Tom Hanks says, of course it got hard. Gina Davis, that's her name, says, of course it's hard. Gina Davis, Tom Hanks, yeah, he says to Gina, when she says it it just got too hard, he goes, of course it's hard. If it was easy, everyone would do it. There is some wisdom in that line, Mm -hmm. that sobriety... You know, you getting getting high is easy. Any human being on the planet can go get high. It does not require any effort to become addicted to substances. You do not need to be an expert. You don't need schooling. You don't need to have classwork. You just simply do it, and it does not take a lot of effort. Getting sober and staying sober in a world where easy fixes are so easy. Hungry? Come get this high-calorie, high-fat, fast food. We'll shove it down your throat as long as you can put money in our pockets. Thirsty? Hey, have a soda pop. We we know it's going to give you diabetes and a few other things, but that's okay. Go ahead. We'll just keep giving it to you. What's that? X, Y, Z? Here's some heroin. Here's some meth. Here's some weed. Here's some alcohol. Whatever it takes, we're going to go ahead and we're going to keep you distracted from living a life that you may have wanted to live when you were five, six, seven years old, and we're going to convince you that somehow the choices you're making now are better. Right. You wanted to be a doctor. You wanted to be a lawyer. You wanted to be a pharmacist. You wanted to be maybe you just wanted to be someone who grew flowers. That's all taken away. Oh, wait, now you're getting sober. Hey, guess what? It's going to require an effort, just like being a doctor mm-hmm. or a musician or a lawyer or a teacher. But the rewards are worth it because then you face life on life's terms and your own terms. It's not always going to be sunshine and lollipops, but you're going to be dealing with it as a sober person. And at least you'll be able to say to yourself, 
this life is my life and I lived it on my terms versus heroin's terms or meth's terms or cocaine's terms. Uh-uh, I did it on my terms. And that's when you can sing the song my way as you exit stage left. <laughs> right, exactly. This is true. Life is, life is going to be hard no matter what. So you might as well uh, find the, the easier way to deal with those challenges and struggles, Indeed. which is usually sober. <laughs> so, all right. Well, before we f- totally finish up here, tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, what do you do for fun there in Cincinnati? Bass player. I'm also I'm a computer gamer, not a console gamer, but an actual real life <laughs> computer gamer and board game stuff. But I'm, I love reading as well, and I'm involved in a lot of other activities. I go out and do uh, presentations, public speaking, <laughs> right. consulting, and I find it to be it all ties together. Even though it's my professional life, it also is my personal life as well because I love watching people make positive changes in their life. So I, I can go back to what I just said, which is I'm living life on my terms versus letting things and people dictate to me how I should live. I, I love watching people empower themselves it's a beautiful thing yeah that's cool all right so your bass player what music did you rock out to this morning on your way to work if it's not the beatles then there's something wrong with my day (laughs) awesome i love the beatles i always have i'm uh about your age a couple years older and i still listen to the vinyl my dad got when he was in high school of the beatles so you just said a a word that a lot of people (laughs) won't recognize nowadays I still have mine. I still have mine. I still got mine too. And now I'm turning my son on to him. So it's pretty excellent. Yeah. All right. Well, how can we find out more about Adam's Recovery Center and maybe get a copy of uh, your book, Addiction Recovery Change? Addiction Recovery Change is available on Amazon.com and it's also available on KaiCamProjects.com. And if you need to find out more about Adams Recovery Center, you can always come to our webpage at AdamsRecoveryCenter.com, AdamsRecoveryCenter.org. And you can always send us an email at info at Adams-Recovery-Center.org. And we are open 24-7. We never close. 513-575-0968. Awesome. And I will have all those links on our show notes for anyone who wants them. And folks, if you're struggling to build a new life in sobriety or you are a sober support for someone who's trying to move past addiction, then you need to check out this book. It's a great how-to manual, Addiction Recovery Change, a how-to manual for successfully navigating sobriety. Thank you so much for joining us, Matthew. It's been wonderful. Thank you for having me. You bet. All right. Take care. Thanks for listening to Bombproof Recovery Radio. For show notes, our free sobriety course, and more, head on over to bombproofrecovery.com. Here's your story, let's begin. The world is fine, come on, dive in. The future's here, it's right before your eyes. Step by step, you're on your way. Welcome to a brighter day. Don't you know it feels good to be alive? You could be alive. Changing everywhere Do we dream and do we dare It's up to you